Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, December 18th. As you listeners can tell, this is not the usual Wednesday podcast with Jamie and Matt Stokowiak. Just the way the schedule worked out this week with some of our guests, we decided to rearrange the schedule of the episodes. So tonight we will be continuing our College Contender Series, looking at the year-end top 10 teams from 2019 and projecting how they look look moving forward to 2020. Joining me to break down tonight's team as they have throughout this entire series, you know him as our writer on Cracked Rackets, where you can find his thoughts extended on these college tennis teams through his college contender series, again, on the website, CrackedRackets.com. A former four-star recruit on TennisRecruiting.net, I affectionately refer to him as Matt the Cracks to Koyak. Matty, welcome back to the mini break. How are you doing tonight? Yes, man. Ready to roll. As always, I think we got another good one. It sucks, man, to think about it. We're, we're getting kind of down to it here. We're only going to have a few of these things left, so we, we got to go all out, man. I was recording the intro for a different podcast, and I was th- going through some of the coaches we've talked to, and I just kept going. I was like, oh my god, we've talked to six of them. I mean, we're halfway through, or over halfway through, and tonight uh, we talked to our seventh coach, the head coach of the team we will be talking about tonight, and the guy who's been joining me on those Cracked Interviews podcasts, who is joining us once again tonight, the forefather of the CollegeTennisRanks.com formula, uh, predictions that are never far from the listed UTR, and of course, one of the many Dames, who now roots for the Liberty Flames. Chris Halliorce, welcome back to the mini break. As always, glad to be here, Alex. <laughs> it is our pleasure to have you here, Chris, of course. And, uh, you know, one of the, we sometimes, let's try that. Oh, sorry, I was making a note of the edit. Chris, give your response at 3 2 1. As always, glad to be here, Alex. Uh, you know it is our pleasure to have you here, Chris. And sometimes we play around with the order, but tonight was one of those opportunities where we got to interview the head coach before we did this podcast, so I feel like Chris and I are particularly well-informed to talk about tonight's team. So, Matt, introduce to our listeners the team we are talking about tonight. The Florida Gators, baby, out of the SEC. Uh, listeners might remember last year I was all in on this team. Um, you guys know that. I thought they were going to go all the way to the title. They had a really good year, though. I mean, to be honest, they didn't get it done, uh, but only four losses, 25-4 and overall. Two of those uh, losses actually came at the ITA national team indoors. Um, You know, Florida, we never really think about them much as a dominant indoor team, Um, you know, always more outdoors. But then they go 12-0 and in the conference in the SEC, which is just phenomenal. I mean, that's extremely difficult to do. The one head-scratcher, um, you know, that I think everybody was a little bit shocked by was uh, in the semifinals of the SEC tournament, Tennessee. So they end up losing that match four to three. They're in Gainesville. So it was a home match for, for the Gators. Um, you know, and that was kind of a surprising loss to all of us. So, um, you know, I'd say maybe that was really their one major blip on the radar. But, you know, they come right back in, in the NCAA tournament, avenge that loss against Tennessee, beat them four two. Um, and then end up falling to Texas, who's the obvious defending uh, national champions at the semifinals. So, look, this is a Final Four team from last year. Um, they're bringing just about everybody back, and, you know, they're adding, you know, to the roster. So um, they're going to be awesome. 
Yeah, you mentioned them going 25-4, and four, struggling out of the gates at the National Indoors. But after that match, I mean, they ripped off an undefeated streak through the SEC season. They also went and be, uh, they beat Wake Forest at home. They uh, beat, uh, you know, an Illinois team at Illinois during that indoors. They went to TCU and beat them before the indoors. I mean, this is a team that, given how young it was last year, you look in terms of the roster, Riffis was a freshman, Greif in and out of the lineup as a freshman, but uh, Croft. A soft, uh, Andrade, a freshman as well. And I actually think Duarte Valle was also a freshman. So for that team to so immediately have the success that they did, uh, I'll try not to do this the entire podcast, but we talked to Coach Shelton about uh, those Tennessee matches in particular, all three of them being really hot, hotly contested affairs uh, and how his team you know, learned from that experience what those matches were like to play. But Chris, uh, I made this comparison last year. This is a comparison I'm sticking with. This team in losing in the NCAA semifinals reminded me so much of the talented Virginia team that lost before they went on their three-peat run, all the way down to, you know, that Virginia team. They lost Alex Damajan, who is a big senior contributor, and Justin Shane, a big contributor as well at the top and the bottom. This Florida team loses Alfredo Perez and McLean Kessler, but much like those other teams, I mean, there's just so much talent coming back on this Florida roster yeah and I mean they played in in many matches last year without either one of those guys right in the singles lineup Kessler is always a stalwart in the doubles lineup Alfredo had some you know had been coming off some some injuries and so he was kind of in and out he obviously he he settled in and played really well but you know it wasn't like hey if we don't have those guys we're dead so they have a they have a full team back that didn't have to have them then that's a year older and added more talent with uh, with two really top prospects coming in this year and a transfer from Tulsa. So I mean there's there's no shortage of talent on this roster for sure. Yeah, and even when you lose 20 doubles wins, 15 singles wins from McLean Kessler uh, from last year, although he had nine of those singles wins in the dual match season, going eight and two for them, mainly at the six positions. Uh, and then for Alfredo Perez, who did deal with all of those injuries, but he came back, went nine and one during the dual match season. Uh, you know, his only loss coming when he played at five singles in that Texas match. I think he didn't finish at three all in the third. Uh, certainly, those are two, you know, big, significant losses. Uh, Coach Sheldon talks about what Kessler meant to the team, not only on the court, but the leadership he provided off the court. But again, Matt, even before we factor in the new additions, you look at this roster now, and I mean— you bring back Crawford, you bring back Riffis, who both dabbled on the Pro Tours uh, this past summer and fall and had a, a bit of success. You have guys like Vale, Andrade, Greif coming back who are heavy contributors to last year's roster. Even before you get into the recruits, just what is, I mean, we, we've talked about it before, so I don't even need to ask you. There's a reason everyone's so excited about this team, and it's because on paper, it's stacked. Yeah, Coach Shelton really, he has an embarrassment of riches at his disposal here. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, and I think you guys would probably agree with me, this is by far the deepest team in the country. There's no question about it. I mean, these guys go at least nine or ten. I don't know, Matt. What about TCU? TCU's Ah, so good. Get get out of here, uh, Gruskin, or should I say Chris? Uh, (laughs) No. um, Look, these guys are phenomenal. There's talent up and down the lineup. Obviously, um, Andrade and Vale are back as juniors. They've been around for a couple of years now. They know what's going on. 
Um, I think both of them have really elevated their games from when they came in as freshmen. They're playing a whole lot better now. Obviously, uh, Crawford and Riffis as co-captains, you know, they're going to fill in, um, you know, at the top of that lineup. These guys are deep. They're talented. Uh, you know, Greif can come in down low and contribute. You know, he didn't play 100% of the time last year, but when he did, he was phenomenal. So, uh, really, when you look at it, I don't see any weaknesses where you can just glaringly say, okay, this is where teams can expose Florida. I just don't see it. Yeah, I would completely agree with you. I think, again, even before we get into anyone new, how rare is it for a team to go 25-4 and four and then bring back uh, you know, 90% of their talent? And that includes Greif, who didn't play in that NCAA semifinal. Chris, I don't know if you have the UTRs up in front of you, but Matt made that point there on paper. Some of the teams we've talked about that have really stood out in terms of depth, UNC. USC, you know, Baylor, very good, given especially the fact that Brooksby's coming, that they have the extra recruit from Spain coming as well. Um, But I just, I don't know how, and maybe you can even get into some of their new additions here. UTR-wise, pedigree-wise, this is the team. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's an interesting question because you, you can look at what the conclusion you can draw from the UTRs is if we played nine singles instead of six singles, (laughs) <laughs> it's o- it's over they win okay i mean they go nine deep at they're still at like 13 two when you get to number nine okay it's crazy it that, it's ridiculous that's a kid that's playing three at a lot of schools right but uh but at the same time right you only play six guys and after obviously you know Crif- crawford and riffis both over 14 uh and then you know, little drop to the next, the next two in Vale and Andrade, and then you got like a five man, you know, a five man pack going for five, six, seven, eight, nine with Greif, Bicknell, Engelton, Gujar, and and Will Grant, uh, and and yeah, it's you know, kind of like we talked about with USC last year, where you just have so many options and coach gets to pick who's in form and play the right guys. Obviously that can be tough sometimes, but um, you know, the, the interesting part is, yeah, their top two are as good as anybody's top two, but there are, you know, some teams who maybe, a, you know, after that a little higher, but certainly nowhere is deep. And so it gets into how much does the depth matter? How much do those guys step up? We're talking, you know, very, very minute differences here, but, but yeah, it's, it, it's they're certainly deeper than anybody. So I'll take a, you know, I'll take a deep lineup with lots of choices and chances for, you know, when I've got five guys battling for two spots and I just, you know, I need two guys to step up and be in really good form. I'll take my chances with that over two or three guys playing for two spots. And now, now somebody has to do it or they're playing anyway. Yeah, and there's a margin of error for injury as well, right? Because they could afford maybe even two of those guys to go down. You could see, let's say, an Andrade and a Greif go down for a month to period. Well, this is a team with the depth they have that can withstand that sort of loss, even if Crawford or Riffis wants to go play pro tournaments for a month. Although, again, after talking with, with Coach Shelton, that does not seem like something these Florida Gators want to do. Uh, they can afford to have those sorts of layoffs. Now, I do want to talk about the idea of 
having too much talent about the difficult decisions that come for Coach Shelton when he starts getting to that three through nine singles range, as well as why I think the depth situation for this Florida team is a little bit different and a little bit more nuanced than just the basic, you know, there's 10 guys to play the five and six position or, you know, four through six positions. I think there are some differentiations between the levels of these Florida players. Uh, But let's get this part out of the way quickly because you brought it up, Chris, and I'll start with you, Matt, because these are guys we talked about in non-college tennis episodes of uh, our Cracked Rackets podcast throughout the summer. In Oliver Crawford and Sam Riffis, uh, Coach Shelton brings back two guys. Crawford went 16-8 and eight during the dual match season last year at number one singles. That's the only spot he played. Riffis goes 10-6 at two singles. Nine and one at three singles, but uh, starts this fall off by making the final of the All Americans. Both of those guys success on the pro tour this summer as well. I believe Riffis made one, if not two, futures finals during the summer. Uh, I'll have to look that up to make sure, but he certainly made that final in Tulsa, and then he won in Wichita. So I should say two futures finals there. Matt, we've talked about some strong top twos. You know, USC, they've got Holt and anyone. Uh, UNC, Blumberg and Seguin, uh, TCU. I, I mean, all of these schools have a bunch of different options. But the the idea of the tandem of Crawford and Riffis, and you guys both know my thoughts on Oliver Crawford, now just add another year of experience. Where does this top two stack in terms of top duos of contending teams? Because, you know, as you start getting to the semifinals, you're playing a Baylor and it's Brooksby and Soto or whatever combination they might want to be, uh, that distinguishing at the top of the lineup becomes that much more important because everyone's good down low. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and and Crawford and Riffis are going to have to come up with some matches. You know, when you look at a team like Texas with Ito and Sigsgard, USC, you mentioned Gruskin with uh, Holt and Cookerman, UNC, mm-hmm. Blumberg, Seguin. I, I, look, I put these guys right up there with all of them. I will take my chances. If you're Coach Shelton, you have to feel confident with Oliver Crawford and Sam Riffis. And I would probably lean towards playing Crawford at one, Riffis at two, at least in the beginning to start. That's what I would do. I don't know if that's what Coach Shelton will do. Um, but I'm rolling into any match with those two guys, and I'm going to feel like I can at least split those. You know, right? You're going to get one out of those two and possibly get to get both of them, you know, against those top elite squads in the country. So, yeah, no, there's no question these guys are right up there with with any tandem at number one and two that you want to throw out there. Yeah, and for in ten, in the SEC when you have teams like you know South Carolina with Paul Jubb or Georgia, who even knows who they're going to be playing at number one singles this year? There's a bunch of guys who qualify. Uh, teams like Tennessee again, who have given them troubles, and on and on you can go. Uh, yeah, it is different, but at the same time, Matt, I. I think the guy who plays two singles is going to be really good, but I don't know if I hold this duo. Ah, that's a lie. No. So here's the thing. Gojo Frisokos last year, they were the the standard set of this is what, you know, our our one and two are going to carry us all year long. And yeah, no, but I'm saying you should never expect that out of your top two. But and I guess Chris, we can hear your opinion on this now as well. I don't know if Crawford and Riffis are as good of like Petros wasn't losing. Just he just wasn't. Um and he didn't for ninety nine percent of the year, but Maybe it's because I just have some, you know, some stink in my mouth of watching Riffis lose some just stinkers last year at two and three. And again, this is a guy who continues to get better and better. One of the most highly touted uh, recruits when he entered college last year. This is not to say I doubt his talent whatsoever. 
I just think there are a lot of top twos on the level of Crawford and Riffis, and I guess I don't see the gap between them and the others as big as last year's gap between Gojo Hrisokos and the other teams. Chris, what do you think about that? Well, I don't know. I'm thinking— And I love Crawford, favorite player in college tennis. I said it multiple times last year. Yeah, and and, and he played Hrisokos when they played uh, Wake Forest last year, and, and who won? <laughs> Crawford okay. okay Crawford also beat Siskard at the end of the year thus I love him yeah so yeah I mean to say I mean yeah the I mean I think it's you know th- there are a handful of teams in there right that it's you know I don't know they're so close like that everybody that Maddie Maddie mentioned right I mean when you talk about the USC top two the Texas top two, the Carolina top two, the Florida top two. I'll go now, you know, the Baylor, uh, what's going to be at the Baylor top two. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it, it's hard to say that if those all played around Robin, that you're going to pick anybody to say, oh, yeah, that team's top two is going to come out of that with the best record for sure. No, I mean, those those guys are all going to beat each other. So, um you know, it's going to, it's going to be one of those any, any given days. Yeah. Now, once you get beyond those schools, those guys are going to win their share. Like, you know, you go into the sec, I expect Florida's top two to, you know, to dominate the only team in the sec that should give them tons of, you know, give them a whole lot of trouble up there is, is A&M. Um, you know, they're going to be, they're going to do just fine up there. And, and it's one of those things where they're really, you know, they're kind of forward, even though they're not forward-looking, we're forward-looking anyway. To all right, let's get to the tournament and see the the real matches. Uh, let you know, <laughs> let's let's get past the Sweet 16, get to that round eight, and now we start uh, with okay. Here's where it gets interesting because if they don't, you know, I kind of look at it like yeah, you probably count on a split. You know, half the time anyway, they're going to split those top two. So now it comes down to the other four. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think the indoors as well, because all 16 teams there are certainly competitive at the very least at the highest levels, and so you're always getting good matches, whether it be front draw or back draw. Yeah, for this Florida team, because we have seen so many of them play so many dual matches, it is almost like, all right, I want to see them play a, a big match. We saw them struggle against Tennessee twice in the SEC tournament where they lost, and then in the round of 16 where they won 4-2, and you just want to see how these guys handle pressure a year later, but you guys talk about it being a toss-up, and I I'm, I think you guys are both spot on, and that's the point I was trying to emphasize is this isn't an Ohio State team from two years ago where it's like, okay, we're getting the doubles point, we're getting Torpegard at one, and we got to find the other two. This isn't where, all right, we get Crawford at one, we get Riffis at two, and we find our other two. This is a team with tremendous depth, and you begin to look at their summer and fall results outside of just the strength of Crawford and Riffis on top. And this is where the depth begins to differentiate itself because this fall, this summer, they had two guys in the college tennis realms really stand out and show, and Coach Shelton mentions this going into the uh, spring, this is how he feels, that Andy Andrade, who went 15-4, and four, and Duarte Valle, who went 13-2, and two, 
should be lining up at the three and four singles positions. And again, this is where it's different than before because I keep going back to that Virginia team, four, five, and six. It was a combination of Shane, Shane, Uruguin, Steislinger, uh, Harrison, Richmond. It was five guys for three spots. I think Coach Shelton, Matt, can rest assured saying, at least at the beginning of the season, and again, he still has a ton of talent to, to play with, but the way they've shown out thus far, it's Crawford and Riffis in some order, Andrade and Vale in some order, and then everyone else. And I think having four guys this early in the season, that's important. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I would agree with that. I think those are probably the top four in some order. The way that I'd roll with it would be Crawford one, Riffis two, probably Andrade three, and Vale four. Um, but I may be hearing some some other ideas about three and four. So, I, I, you know, I don't know about that. That's just what I would probably do. <laughs> and then, you know, five and six. I mean, hey, th- I'm telling you, man, guys like Ingoldson, he's a c- senior. He's been around for a while. If you play this guy at five or six, he is going to win a ton of oh matches. My- for you. I mean, there's no question. Lucas Greif, this guy was awesome last year when he played you know, down low. He didn't play every match, but when he did, he won, you know, and then we're not even talking about the freshmen, um, you know, Grant and Bicknell yet. So I just, yeah, no, the whole lineup, man, however coach Shelton, you know, goes about it. This is always a good problem to have. And, you know, I would never take the mindset that you can have too much talent or the decisions could be too difficult. I don't buy that at all. Look, this team's talented. You always take as much talent as you possibly can get, and then you roll from there. You you know, you may have injuries and things, so the lineup's going to have a way of kind of sorting itself out, I think, as we progress through the season. The joke I made with Coach uh, Shelton to end the podcast during the rapid fire was, uh, how, how, or what's the most angry you've been at a Johannes Inglitson forehand? And the reason I bring that up now is because when you said his name, I honestly forgot that he was on the roster. He's the lone senior on this team, a guy who, you know, has been for them a top four singles player over these past couple of years. Yep. You know, you look at the wins he got for them last year at the three and four singles position, allowing them flexibility at the bottom. Uh, but comparatively this spring, like, yeah, I mean, Andrade went 15 and four in singles, volley 13 and two. Blaze Bicknell, the freshman you mentioned, twelve and six. Uh, Joshua Goodger, uh, Goodger, I we've butchered his name all the time, so I don't really care. Uh, he went twelve and five. I mean, on paper, just guys who played matches last year. Coach Shelton has his six. Some combination of Ingleton, who again has been there before, Greif, who was so good at the back of the lineup at five and six when he got opportunities to play last season. Um, he doesn't even need to think about the freshman, and yet. Uh, Chris, when we start to project this lineup, given the fall results you've seen, uh, what is five and six singles? And, you know, because I think we both agree Andrade and Valle will be some combination of three and four. Uh, but five through six, what is the layout looking to, to you thus far? Yeah, in my mind, day one, it's got to be Ingalls and five, Greif six. Um, I mean, these other guys, now granted, they've gotten with the exception of Will Grant, Will Grant's coming in January, so he hasn't been there, so that's a little bit of a wild card, but in my mind, that makes it very tough, you know, when you've got a lineup this talented, to bring a kid in that's, that just came, comes in January and say, oh, yeah, I'm going to put you above my, my guys that have been here that are clearly super talented, I just don't see that happening day one. He's going to have to prove it, uh, you know, on the court at practice with those with those guys, so I don't see him 
being a day one starter in singles. And so that leaves you with uh, Bicknell and, and Gujar. And they've had them there this fall, so they know what they've got. But uh, I I just don't – I don't see them sur- surpassing uh, – you know, the returners there uh, for, for a spot. So from what, you know, we talked to Coach Shelton, and from what Coach Shelton talked about, they're going to play a non-conference schedule, and they're going to let a lot of guys get opportunities to play. And it's not just, you know, to let them play and, and keep them happy, if you will, but they've got to see it when when they play competition how they're doing and how these guys perform under pressure, giving them a chance to play, uh, you know, so in some cases they may be, you know, may be easy wins with a couple of these teams they've got. but but everyone's going to get their chance. They'll have plenty of opportunity to do that early on. They throw, they sprinkle in a couple tough matches, right? Like they've got three double headers uh, on their schedule. So, you know, Furman FAU, they'll play a, an assortment of guys. I'm sure another with UCF and Stetson UCF. They'll be a little careful with Stetson. They'll get a lot of guys opportunity, but smack between those is Texas. Obviously we're going to see the a lineup when they play Texas, right? Uh, and and then they get a Temple uh, and a Purdue, uh, all of that prior to indoors, where we'll we'll see some different lineups. Florida State, they'll and Illinois, they also play. They'll have to be a little more careful on both of those fronts, probably. And we'll see the, you know, we'll see what the real lineup looks like. We're gonna probably see it indoors after that, uh, and then they head into the SEC season. Yeah, Matt, you made a really good point I want to follow up on and based off of what Chris said of uh, starting out with Inglidson and Greif, the returners at the bottom of the lineup. Now, as Matt or as Chris just said, Coach Shelton talked about how he wants all of these guys to get opportunities to play matches early in the year so he can find out who are the six guys he can rely on down the home stretch. So my flipping of what you said is if you're Coach Shelton, the same way he sort of played with Perez and Kessler, but more so Perez, of holding him out late in the year, giving guys like Greif, Vale, Kessler shots at the bottom of the lineup, and then bringing the nuclear option in Perez when it was go time towards the end of the season. Uh, what do you think about the idea of Coach Shelton starting out with, say, Will Grant, who he'll see for the first time in January, just to see where he can uh, work out, have him start out at six, or take shots with guys like Bickney? Now or one of the Cacciatore brothers to start the year uh, just to see how they hang. Oh, I love it. And, and that's what, going back to what I was saying, this is a very positive thing, you know, with all mm-hmm. this depth and talent because you can afford to do that. Look, coaches, most coaches cannot afford to do what we're talking about here, where you're taking guys that may be ninth or 10th on the roster and you're playing them in matches early in the season to get them in the flow, to see how they respond, you know, especially young guys. Um, This is a luxury that most teams, almost every team in the country, let's be honest, cannot afford to do. But Coach Shelton can. Florida can do that. And so, yes, I fully expect them to take advantage of that. He's going to play the young guys. He's going to mix it around, see who can respond, see who's playing well. And then, you know, when the matches really count, when the chips are down, come SEC time, you know, postseason time, he's going to know. I'm telling you, the lineup will have a way of sorting itself out through the first couple of months. We're going to get through indoors. You know, they're going to play some non-conference opponents. And then when we get to that SEC schedule, we'll know. We'll know. Yeah. Well, the big thing we talked about with Coach Shelton and something we've sort of alluded to is it's not the singles even that work. You know, 
pick any of those eight guys out of a hat and play. They're the one team who we've been suggesting lawless lineups. Florida's fine no matter who you play where. They can probably find three singles wins regardless of the combinations of who you're playing against each of their players. But last year in uh, three of their four losses, but really the three losses that mattered, because I'm not going to count their Stanford loss at the end of the indoors, uh, in their 4-3 loss to USC, in their 4-3 loss to Tennessee, in their 4-0 semifinal loss to Texas, uh, they lost all three doubles points. And it was something we saw continuously last year from Coach Shelton um, and uh, assistant coach Tanner Stump as well, just playing around with the different doubles combinations, trying Crawford and Perez or Riffis and Perez or Perez and Inglitson or Crawford and Riffis and Kessler and Vale and Kessler and Andrade. And because he had so many talented players and because none of the combos were particularly sticking, uh, he tried a different a bunch of different things. Now, we've seen limited sample sizes. I don't think any combination on their team has played more than 10 doubles matches thus far. And in fact, it's uh, Berdusco and Inglitson have played 10. The next closest is Crawford and Riffis, who have played five. And it's like, that's not the team they need to learn anything about. Uh, but to you first, Matt, and then you, Chris, uh, how important is the doubles point to this team, given how much singles talent they have? And then what are the pairings you are looking towards uh, if you were Coach Shelton? Well, the doubles is always important. Look, I don't care how good your singles lineup is. You don't want to have to rely on getting four singles matches every time out, especially against the elite teams. So doubles is important, you know, regardless of how good their singles lineup is, which we know. Um, But I, I really think this is the most interesting part about this Florida team this year is the doubles because we don't know which combinations that we're going to see. I mean, Perez and Kessler were both really good doubles players and they're now gone. You know, we know that Vale can play doubles. We know Ingoldson has been ranked as high as number one in the country in doubles. Obviously Crawford and Riffis. So, I mean, I think they have, a, they have good doubles players, but Coach Shelton's going to have to find the right combos. I don't know whether Crawford and Riffis, you know, the co-captains who are really good friends, I don't know if he pairs them together. Um, You know, I kind of like the pairing of Vale and Andrade a little bit. Um, I think they could be very successful at either two or or three doubles. Um, Ingleton, obviously. So I think that is really kind of what we have to keep our eye on. You know, early in the season, let's see what they do with their doubles lineup because I really don't know. It's hard to tell. Yeah, and Chris, before you answer this question, I would like to also point out in discussing how Coach Shelton wants to get all of these guys different match availabilities. He talked about how he scheduled a couple of double headers this season for the first time. Uh, but also, it's not just that there are six spots in a lineup. There are 12 spots in a lineup because you can go with any different doubles combination you want. And Chris, given the comfort Coach Shelton can sometimes take in knowing, you know, if he really needs to grind out a dual match singles win, or a dual match win, he can rely on his singles lineup. Uh, but A, do you think he'll play around with the doubles lineups to get guys shot set? He's not going to play Ingoldson in singles that day. We'll definitely see him in doubles. And then B, what are the teams you're looking towards? Well, he's definitely going to play around with the singles lineups, like we, you know, the non-conference schedule, if you will. Um, I it, clearly we see Crawford and Riffis together uh, in doubles, and probably at one at worst two. Um, you know. Ingleton, I, I think as he kind of talked about with, with us, I think there's a good chance we might see Will Grant, even though he comes in, he's a good doubles player. He might play 
uh, in the in the doubles lineup. I think you know Ingleson clearly is is playing doubles. Uh, you know, uh, Berdusco. I think we'll actually see Ingleson and Berdusco. So last year, those two, even as we got to the end of the year, they played not at all in the dual season together, and they were still ranked. And had they thrown them in some dual matches, could have actually made NCAA's together based off what they had done in the fall at like all Americans and all the fall tournaments. So I think we'll see Ingleton and Verdusco together. That could be one Crawford Riffis could be one. I think, I think those are probably the top two teams. And then, uh, and then we see Vale and, and I don't know if he plays with Andrade. I don't know if he plays with, with Grant and, you know, uh, but I think we see Vale with somebody uh, in the double in the other double spot. And the good news for this Florida team, they have a lot of time before the conference schedule starts to get their, uh, to get some matches under their belt, to get their rotation in order. Uh, Matt, I'm going to start with you again. Uh, I'm going to list some SEC contenders. You tell me again, do you think any of these teams are on the same tier as Florida? Nope. I'll answer, I'll answer that now. They are not. Okay, so so the teams, Chris, see, I knew I should have asked that to Chris first because I feel like he might have not just thrown me out. But uh, of the teams, Texas A&M, South Carolina, Georgia, uh, and maybe Tennessee, although I knew they, I know they lose some stuff. And should we say Mississippi State just for posterity's oh, sakes? On. No, no I'm just you. kidding. I'm just kidding. But so Texas A&M, Georgia, uh, and uh, South Carolina, Chris, any of those, uh, which of those teams, how about this then? If none of them are on the same level, and then Matt, you can answer the question after as well unless you want to just yell at me again um which of those three teams do you see giving this florida team the toughest time well a m is the clear two uh i mean there's there's no question really i don't i don't think there as it you know coming into the season they're probably the the they're the clear two they they are would they be a preseason top 10 in your mind yes yes okay they're super solid top five I'm not sure who they're going to be, you know, who the sixth is, if it's Stefan Storch or who they, but they've got a great team coming in. Um, then you've got a grouping of three in my mind after that. And that is uh, the teams you mentioned. It's, uh, it's Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, South Carolina, probably, you know, the leading candidate of that pack of three uh, to be third. And then Tennessee and Georgia, uh, in the mix there not sure you know kind of kind of what order a lot of some new faces to be seen there Tennessee brought in a transfer Georgia's got obviously some really highly touted young guys so it's always interesting to see how they pan out um and then you know and then there's another group after that and then kind of a bottom three but but yeah that's the in the SEC it's definitely Florida one in my mind Florida one A&M two a pack of three in South Carolina Georgia Tennessee um and it's not, and and if one of them steps up really well, like South Carolina, right? Anytime you got Jub at the top, you got a, a lot of potential there. And and Rodriguez and Lambling at two, three are no slouches, and they brought a good freshman in. That's probably probably four, uh, but it's still not the lineups that either of the other two have. So A and M the only real, the only real competitor. I mean, A and M on a given day, you know, especially if I didn't even look to see where that match was at, honestly. Uh, it is. Oh, it's it's at A and M. So at A and M on courts that are definitely not the same as they are at Florida, uh, much faster courts down there. Um, you know, it it could jump up and you know something could jump up and, and bite you. You know, but they'd have to obviously be on their game and 
and catch Florida on a susceptible day. Yeah, and scheduling-wise, again, you said A&M's on the road March 8th. They get Georgia and Tennessee at home the same weekend, March 13th and 15th. Now, that's obviously big for them. Then they get have to end the season on the road at South Carolina April 10th. Um, but I, I guess, Matt, since I, I like the way Chris broke it down, and it sounds like to you, Chris, you only see two top 10 teams in the SEC this year, at least at this point in uh both, sorry, Florida and uh, I'm blanking out, and Texas, Texas A&M. A&M. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but Matt, so I guess my question is, we talked about those two Tennessee matches, and those were two of my favorite matches of the season last year, both the SEC tournament and the NCAA round of 16. If a team is going to Tennessee, Florida this year, what is the, who is that team, or do you just really see Florida running away with this conference this year? I, I love the way that Chris broke that that SEC down because I agree with that 100%. Now, Gruskin, the reason why I deflected your question so quickly <laughs> is because I still feel like there's a gap between mm-hmm. Florida and A&M. I do agree with Chris. I believe A&M is the clear-cut number two. I have that as well. However, there for me, there's there's a bit of a gap there. I mean – And then, of course, there's another gap between the Georgias and South Carolinas. You know, throw Tennessee in there if you want to. Um, So, you know, to me, if Florida doesn't win the SEC, something's wrong. There's a problem. I mean, they should win this conference, no question in my mind. Now, that match being in College Station, that'll be interesting. I mean, that could very well be for the number one seed in the SEC tournament. And if A&M somehow plays out of their minds and Florida's a little bit off, it wouldn't be the biggest upset we've ever seen, but it would still be an upset. And I just, I don't see it happening. I, I believe Florida is, is the clear-cut favorite and they should win this conference. Look, Aguilar, Vachero, my boy Noah Schachter, who I will say again, I met when I was at Saddlebrook and he was, and I think he was 12 and I was like 17 and I beat him in a set. And I, there's no way he remembers it because it was just like, who's this random 17-year-old? Uh, but Texas A&M certainly uh, has my heart because of it. I feel invested. Uh, yeah, that's a dangerous team. That's an experienced team as well that could certainly steal one from the Gators early on in the SEC season. Um, but I think we can throw out our usual question of, is this team on the fringe of a top eight seed? Because I think we all agree uh, something, you know, barring an injury to one of or both of Crawford and Riffis, even with one or two injuries to the bottom of their lineup. They just have so much talent that we should see them in the top eight come end of the year. So uh, I guess we can end here. Predictions for this Florida team. We've spoken so strongly about them. I think it's very clear from UTR to results from the last season to returning talent to added new talent to from a leadership perspective you have two guys who were sophomore and freshman captains now a year older and sophomore and junior captains um you know matt we'll start with you what are your predictions for this year's florida gators well i i certainly think they can go all the way i mean this florida team can very well win a, a championship um you know last year i picked them you guys remember I was riding with them all the all way. All too they well. Yeah, they didn't get it done. Um, but they, look, they made the Final Four last year. And, and anything less than that this year, I think, would be a disappointment. They've got to get to the Final Four. And then from that point, yeah, absolutely. They can win the whole thing. They've got the depth. They've got the talent. Well-coached team. Um, I've already made my pick for this year. I'm going with North Carolina because I'm not going to ride Florida again as much as I did last year. I'm sick of that. 
So I want to switch it up. I'm going to roll with my ACC team. So I'm not going to pick Florida to win the title, but there is no question that if they do, I won't be surprised one bit. I think they they have probably the most talented and deepest team in the country. Those are, you know, strong words. And I know you don't say them lightly. And I know you're still feeling burned by Florida the same way I still feel burned for predicting Mississippi State was going to win the national indoors, only to have them lose in the first round. So with that in mind, uh, speaking of Mississippi State players disappointing me, Chris, your predictions for this Florida Gators team? (laughs) Uh, I uh, Well, you know, as we've said, my... uh, all along this year that I'm going with the Gators. So I, I think, I think they run the table in the sec. They win the sec tournament. Uh, and, uh, and I'll take them to, I'll take them to win it all. You guys really screwed me. And of course it's all about me, but I want to predict someone different than you. Uh, I know, you know, given my relationships with some people, uh, me picking the Baylor Bears to win a national title this year feels like the obvious alternative to picking a different team than the two of you. Uh, Matt, your UNC pick, very smart. Chris, I thought we had you picking USC for a second, and I feel like at the end of the—I mean, all of these picks are subject to change, let's be clear. Um, But, I mean, look, we've talked about it. Baylor— is really, really, really good. We haven't talked about this team. I think uh, we talked about UNC. They are really, really, really good. We talked about USC. They're really, really, really good. Um, even Ohio State, who we haven't talked about talent-wise, really, really, really good. <sighs> Again, if this was best of nine singles, Florida's your undisputed champ. They are so good one through, even 10. <sighs> I don't know, man. I really the problem is now, Chris. We interview all of these coaches, so I know if I make a pick, I'm like afraid that one of them's going to text me now. And I suppose Coach Shelton doesn't have my number yet, so if I don't pick his team, he can't say anything. But I don't, I don't know how I could equate this team to Virginia for the past 18 months and then not take the new who's. So I think I'm going to have to roll with you, Chris. I just. Your math, your you know the mathematician. How can you, how in me. Can you not take Baylor, Gruskin? I don't understand. <laughs> I, well, if probably... you don't, if you don't take Baylor, I and Coach Boland are going to be extremely disappointed in you. I know. Well, first of all, my off my default pick is Michigan. Let's be clear. Um, but Ooh. yeah, it's just. I know, and the thing but, is, if but, I don't pick Baylor, honest, you didn't if go I to don't an inner pick... city school that, that that didn't teach you very well, uh, that, you know, yeah. you you know that uh, that that's not going to happen. So here's so. the thing, though: if I don't pick Baylor, then Boland will hear this, and he'll be like, "Alex, I know," and, uh, and then that's an issue. Dude, they um, have Jensen Brooksby this year. Just pick Baylor. Of, of all years, this is a good year to pick them with Brooksby, man. I know. I know. I, I almost want to go pick them now but i can't i'm 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 taking no. my Gators. no you take baylor i'll take florida i insist no, chris no. i'm i'm doing you a favor here no 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 you want to you want <laughs> i i kind of want to but first of all that i i there i need baylor gear if i was going to do that and coach boland's <laughs> given me nothing i have tons i have tons of florida gear uh you know primarily mm-hmm. because i grew up in florida and i was a gators fan but you know uh, I have all kinds of Gator gear. I have all kinds of Mississippi State. I have nothing that says Baylor. So, 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 Coach Boland, please, you know, send some gear. 
I'll I'll talk more about you, and I'll I might even pick you every once in a while. Yeah, I feel like Coach Bresky is like going to pull Marcos Bagdadis, newly retired, out of his hat to play for him this year. So <laughs> uh, that's always an option for Wake Forest, and that changes the calculation. Yep. But I'm taking Florida. I have to. I love you, Coach Boland, and I'm going to change my pick to Baylor when the moment comes. Um, but in the meantime, before we actually hit the start of 2020, I'm going to roll with Florida. I can tell you when that moment's coming right now. <laughs> that, that, that moment is coming the second we go to indoors and Gruskin goes, oh, my gosh, Baylor looks really good because we're playing indoors and Florida's indoors. Yep. And, and he goes, I think I'm taking Baylor now. I took Mississippi State last year to win indoors. If we've learned anything, it's that my indoors picks are always awful. And, and um, I didn't, and I was the homer. That should have told yeah. you right there. I, I mean, know. Well, the best was after that podcast ends, you go, man, that was a bad pick, Alex. And here's six reasons I couldn't say on camera why. And then I was like, <laughs> I was like, really? Like, I get not putting that on the podcast, but you're not yeah. going to tell me that before? Yeah. And on, And the funny thing was on top of all of it was – Oh, by the way, Nuno's sick. He's like wearing a mask and can't breathe on anybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then him, and then of course him and Rybakov play one of the best matches of the year. So it's like, well, even that didn't. Ma- I mean, I should have just been like, oh, of course, Famba. I should have been like Famba against Trevor. Never bet on Halioris. Um, no, oh just my kidding. gosh, Trevor, that was an unneeded shot at you. I meant it at your uncle. Just know that. Um, but all right, with that in mind, before we wrap up, uh, obviously this is a Florida team we're very excited about. But another thing we're really excited about at Cracked Rackets, our new partnership with Aerobar, the first tennis-specific energy bar. You know the deal by now. More potassium than a banana. High melting point chocolate, so you don't look like a fool with that chocolate all over your face, all over your fingers. What is that stuff? You have brown fingers? That's kind of gross. Like, is that a stain of some sort? You're like, no, 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 no. It's chocolate, I swear. Well, you're not even going to have to worry about that uh, because these, these things aren't going to melt. You're not going to look like an idiot, and you know the deal by now. John Isnerak, a giveaway. Leave a review on this podcast. Great shot podcast the cracked interviews podcast to give yourself a shot at winning that racket leave your contact information in the review and we will enter you in our raffle but with that in mind matt then chris any final thoughts i don't think so man i mean honestly you guys made some good picks i think florida obviously is going to be the trendy pick you know for a lot of people to win the title this year and and rightfully so i mean we we hit on everything they're going to be awesome i can't wait to watch them um yeah it's fun team man Chris, same thing. Any any ending rhymes this time to pull out? No, no, no. I mean, for you, you, you'll have to go listen to the to the Coach Shelton interview on the Cracked Interviews Pod if you really if you want to hear my rhyme. And and for that, you have to get all the way to the end, right? So you know, <laughs> I, I I write. I can only write one a week. That that's it. So yeah. No, I'm, obviously this is that this is this is my team this year. I'm I'm really excited to see them get going, uh, and I'm really excited to see some of these some of these new guys and and what we end up if we end up with the lineup that I'm kind of you know thinking we end up with and how they mix it up early but but really more than anything that's super super early Florida Texas match I mean what is that like it's like the second week of January maybe uh I, I I'd have to look what I got it up somewhere over here it's uh, uh January 15th January 15th we get to Texas at Florida I mean that that is going to be just a, a huge, huge early season match uh, that, I'll, that I'm really looking forward, really looking forward to seeing. 
No, absolutely. It's going to be a ton of fun. And honestly, I just wanted you to plug your first Correct Interviews podcast. So mission accomplished on this spot. I appreciate that, Chris. Well, then one last time, again, if for any more information, any more content, you've missed any of the action, be sure to go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com, for the more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, it's at Cracked Rackets. Uh, but with that in mind, for my wonderful co-hosts as part of this college contending series, Chris Halliorce and Matt Stokowiak, for our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, and from our entire teams at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Guys, what do we tell our listeners? That's, That's the break. break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>